0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: Good morning, church. Uh, Pleasure to stand under God's word with you today. We'll be in John 20, verses 19 through 23. So if you would like to turn there. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. so word of the Lord.
0: You all could be seated, and any children here can be dismissed to their classes. All right, so uh, I'm convinced that one of the best ways to know what makes a person tick is... To know what they do when someone rings the doorbell. Um, you know, like when, when they first hear that the chime goes off, right, or the ding, or the whatever it happens to be, like what is their gut instinct on? One extreme, you have people that will just like run to the door, bolt to it no matter what and go see who's there immediately. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It could be like the middle of the night. Uh, whether they've been just watching a, a scary movie or if they hear like police choppers outside and squad cars running, there's a manhunt going on. They will just bolt to the door and see who's there. Like someone is like there to give them a present or something, right? That, that's one side of the uh, extreme. There are other folks on the other side when they hear the doorbell uh, it doesn't matter if they're expecting company. doesn't matter if they order DoorDash, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if someone called them five minutes ago to let them know that they would be there in five minutes. Uh, if they hear the, the doorbell, they're going to freeze. They're not going to move, and they're, gonna, they're going to be as quiet as possible so that the person at the door doesn't think that anybody's home, right? Even if the car is in the driveway, and the curtains are open, and the TV is on, and there are kids playing outside, right? Like they just don't want anyone to think that their home, it's like the human version of playing dead, basically. Um, Creep to the curtain to see if they can see who it is, or uh, we have in 2023, we have the ring doorbell now, right? Which is like a gift. I wish I had that when I was a kid at home uh, by myself. And so anyways, uh, I I don't know what all that says about someone, where you fall maybe on that spectrum, but uh, it says something maybe about what we are expecting, uh, and, and maybe what we're afraid of or not afraid of just on the other side of, of the door, but, but maybe also a little bit in life uh, in general when, when the unexpected comes knocking, whether that's literally or whether that's metaphorically, uh, do we find ourselves at peace or are we jumpy? Are we, are we uh, going to like the worst case scenario in our brains, right? Or are we excited about like what the possibilities might be on the other side? Our focal passage today finds the, the disciples pretty jumpy. Uh, they are scared. They are afraid. They're, they're locked up and they're huddled in a house together. And Jesus will challenge them and he will challenge all of us to not just answer the door, but to actually go out of the door, and to not just go out of the door, but to then take something with us to anybody and everybody on the other side. Our main idea today is that the peace that Jesus brings moves us out the door. Uh, we'll pick up and start uh, by looking at the first couple of verses in our passage. This is John 20, 19 through 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Our first point this morning is that we get to gather in peace. We get to gather in peace. So John mentions that uh, it's the evening of that day Whatever that day is, that day is Sunday. It's the same day that we left on last week when Mary Magdalene met Jesus uh, after he rose from the dead. That happened in the morning, uh, and then she rushed back to tell the the disciples that uh, not only was he alive, right, but that he was going to ascend into heaven, body and soul, to take his place on the throne as king over everything. Uh, and, And our focal passage just stopped there. We didn't get to see how the disciples like, took the news. There were no reaction videos right, that we saw of the disciples. But, but you can maybe imagine what that would have been like. Right? like you, you may have seen uh, videos of like gender reveal parties or uh, military folks, like when they surprise their families, they come home, they don't know that they're going to be there. Or maybe like people opening that, that one Christmas present they thought they would never get, but they got it. Right? You can imagine uh, the reaction that those people have if you've seen those things. And so you can imagine how the disciples then might react to hearing that Jesus was alive again. This was their friend. This was their teacher this was their Messiah. And when Jesus died, they were very understandably confused and they were sad and they were scared. They didn't know what to do next. And so the fact that, that Jesus had just wandered up to Mary and had a chat with her, right, that, that should have blown their socks off. Instead, as far as we can tell, like Mary shows up, she like pounds on the door and says, hey, like Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's gonna, he's gonna be going back up to the father. And they're just like, shh. Like, bro, like, just get in, get in the door. Like, we don't want anybody to know that, that anybody's here. Uh, instead of this being like a, a joyous occasion for, for merrymaking, they're they're closing the blinds, and they're drawing the curtains, and they're turning off all of the lights. Like, we, we don't want anyone to know that we're home. That's the reaction. The news did not make them happy as far as we can tell, if anything, it, it fueled their fear of being found by the very people who just got Jesus killed. It's the Jewish leaders. And if, if those people knew that they were part of Jesus' crew, especially if they heard them running around town talking about how he's alive again, like no joke, they would probably shut that down real quick. And so they barricaded themselves inside because they were afraid of life on the other side of the door. The gospel marks us. Like it is impossible to follow Jesus and, and not be associated with Jesus. And, and sometimes that comes at a cost. You will, you'll never find a political bumper sticker on my car, all right? Um, or a, a campaign sign in my yard. It doesn't matter if it's national or if it's state or if it's local. Uh, races, issues or people or whatever it happens to be like, I just, if, if you're gearing up to like run for office, I'm very excited for you. I'll pray for you and all those things, but I will not, I will not put your sticker on my car. I will not put your sign uh, in my yard because like there are no humans besides Jesus that I want to give a blank check, unqualified endorsement to on the rear of my 2011 Mazda CX-9. All right. That is very precious real estate uh, for me. But that's because I don't want people to see it and then, and then make an assumption and then jump to a conclusion and get the wrong idea about who I am or what I believe or what I'm all about. You can do what you want, right? But again, my bumper is, is precious real estate. So like I have a, a village magnet on the back of my car right now and even that's like day to day. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I see what you guys post on TikTok and Facebook. I'm like, I, I don't know about these people. I'm not so sure. But look, like here's the thing. We can be picky about that stuff but we, we can't be picky about our association with Jesus. If we really believe what we say about him, that he's God in the flesh, he's perfect, he's righteous, he's loving, he's just, then, then why would we ever be hesitant to hand Jesus a blank check? And I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about like our life and our livelihood and our, our reputation and our relationships, our opinions, our beliefs about things, the choices, that we make, like what if we let him speak for us on the things that we're most vocal about or speak for us on the things that we never wanna say out loud? Before we come out and say like, we endorse Jesus to somebody, what qualifications do we feel like we need to make? What's the disclaimer that needs to run at the bottom of the screen, right? Like as we're talking uh, about that stuff, is he really all good or is he not? And if he is, then like, isn't he all good for us too? Sometimes we hear about how good Jesus is and instead of filling us up to live our life like outside of those doors and makes living outside those doors seem scarier. Like the disciples, it has the opposite effect of what we would expect. Uh, And it's really easy to pick on the disciples here as if they're being cowards. And that might be true a little bit. Like, to be fair, they could be killed for, like, walking outside, all right, Uh, and letting their face be seen. But but the thing that they have naturally here in this moment that a lot of us don't in our day-to-day life is a keen sense of the weight of following Jesus. And the kicker is that, that there's a necessity to make a choice. Like, it comes with having to make a choice. Lock the doors and hide inside or... Or risk your life by living it on the other side of the door. They didn't have the luxury that we often do today of like going about their day as if their association with Jesus didn't really matter all that much. And there, there might be things to be afraid of in our life, right? If you go public with Jesus, like people might get the wrong idea about you. They might make assumptions. that might cost you something, but but this isn't an either-or thing. Like, either there are are risks to following Jesus today or there aren't. And how risky it is, like, out there determines whether or not we're going to have freedom to follow Jesus faithfully today and and talk about him. It's not an either-or situation. It is a both-and situation. There are risks out there, and you are free to follow Jesus boldly and faithfully. Both things can be true and are true at the same time. And that does demand a choice from us. Which do we want more? To not have people get the wrong idea about us? Or to follow Jesus no matter what? That's the choice. Do we wanna manage our image and and mitigate risk today? Or do we want to live our life out there as if Jesus really is the big deal that we say he is in here, like we just sang about? like we pray about, like we talk about. We can want both things, but we can't want them the same, right? One will give way to the other. This, this might be bringing into focus maybe some real tension in us, maybe that, that has been felt as if like it's tension between you and the world, but it's really a tension between, between us and Jesus. Would we rather be at peace with the world or at peace with Jesus? Is he worth the risk? Is peace with Jesus worth a very real cost in the world? And if that's the tension that you're feeling, then this is the moment Jesus wants to bust through your door. That's what he does here with his disciples. He doesn't kick it down, all right? He just like walks right through it like a vision, the vision and Avengers, right? He, like, he's, he has got a physical form that can just like pass through walls. Jesus is, is body and spirit and can just pass through locked doors like they're nothing. Uh, but the most remarkable thing about all of this stuff, when he shows up, it's not what he does, it's what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't point his finger at them and say, you cowards. Peter, three times you denied me as I was on my way to die for you. The rest of you, like, no one showed up to my execution. Most of you weren't there at my burial. The last time I saw, a lot of you was at dinner or as you were in the garden watching me be let out of it with with handcuffs. And now you're living here, hanging out, huddled up, as if what I did didn't matter at all. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds and they breathe a happy sigh of relief. With four words and three scars, Jesus turns a crowd of fearful people into a gathering of glad people. They had gone from being a bunch of uh, scared fish in a barrel. It's probably what they felt like to being the, the very first fortified outpost of a new kingdom in a foreign land. And that's what, that's what this gets to be. Like what we get to do right here every single Sunday morning, every time we gather together in groups, when you go out and get coffee or hang out with people or get meals or whatever, like we get to remember that Jesus burst into our world, burst into our life and presented us with a peace that maybe doesn't change everything out there, but it certainly changes everything in here. And don't miss this. Jesus didn't web up the Jewish leaders like Spider-Man, okay? He didn't. He did not put them in jail. He didn't get rid of them. He didn't like put a spell on them or promise his followers that they were gonna be safe. Uh, He changed nothing outside of the doors. In fact, Jesus just showed them the scars from from those same Jewish leaders, what they did to him just a few days ago. And yet the disciples now are glad for some reason. Three things that we get to see here about Jesus' declaration of peace. Two things this isn't and one thing it is. First and foremost, this wasn't a declaration of peace in the world. The disciples were not glad because Jesus came with news that like everything's going to be fine now, right? You'll be healthy, wealthy, happy, right? Everything's going to be easy. You have lots of friends. Uh, You're always going to be understood and supported, right? In life. And he also didn't come with, with a command to pretend as if that is true, Like Jesus came to this gathering with scars and some of us come to this gathering with them too. And some of them might be fresh wounds. You don't have to pretend like they're not there or that they won't be there when you leave. The peace he offers isn't pretend. The second thing, this isn't, this wasn't a declaration of peace with the world. The peace that Jesus offers is not permission to compromise. The disciples weren't glad because Jesus died for truth that now doesn't really matter anymore. His offer of peace isn't him conceding that what he had said before he died and everything that God had said, like even in the Old Testament up to that point, that's not him saying, eh, doesn't really matter all that much anymore. Like, do what you want, believe what you want. Oh, is that what people think now? Fine, like, go for that. That's not it. Like, what should blow our minds is that even after dying for truth, Jesus offers his peace to people who live like there's no such thing, or who know that there is, but live like it just doesn't really matter, to be honest. The scars of Jesus aren't permission slips. They are reminders that what's true is worth living and dying and living again for, which points to what this really is. What this really is, this was a declaration of peace over the world. The world had done its worst, right? And it was not enough to stop Jesus. And the disciples did their best to keep like anybody from coming through the door, to keep anybody from knowing that they were even home. And yet that wasn't enough either because Jesus just walked out of the grave and right into their gathering with a, a bunch of people a bunch of people who denied him, who were afraid to be marked by him or associated with him. And the first words out of his mouth got to be peace because he had already dealt with their sin on the cross. And he left all the guilt and all the shame behind in his tomb. It is this peace, a peace that's not from the world, but it's from Jesus. It's not with the world, but it's with Jesus. It's not because of the world, but because of the wounds that mark Jesus. It is this Peace that God greets us with when we gather as his people. Look, I've heard a lot of reasons why people don't show up to stuff. I've heard maybe more than you have. All right, like uh, we have to move a couch. I'm sorry if some of you have said this, but these are things I've heard. We have to move a couch tonight. Okay. Um, We had to do laundry. Look, I get that. I feel that. We have seven people in our home. I bet you I have more laundry to do than you do at home. Uh, I double booked. It's like, okay, like we, we've done we've done this thing on the same day at the same time for years. What is even happening right now? Like, oh, I don't even understand. Like, this isn't even possible. Look, some of you might feel weird trying to like. Let's be honest. Sometimes find excuses not to gather. All right, all right. But or maybe just admit that you can't use a calendar. Maybe that's really what it is. Uh, but I promise. Like, whoever you're making respond to those things, like, you're making them feel dumber. Like, what are they supposed to say? Like, hope the couch isn't too heavy, right? What do you, you say on a group? meeting? like, I can't wait to come sit on it sometime, right? That, that's even weirder. But how many of us have not shown up to a gathering or, or, or to a meal, to a group, because you, you felt too guilty? You felt too bad or too afraid, too unsettled in your life? or in your heart, maybe in your relationships, like the last thing that we wanted or needed or felt worthy for was sitting in some churchy space. This passage makes that seem ridiculous. When we do that, we're avoiding the very thing that we need, which is to know the peace of God among the people of God that comes from God and God alone. And it comes First. It is spoken first. Before we make an excuse, before we say sorry, before we lift a finger, Jesus has already spoken in the gospel to his people that his peace is with us. And while he's not in our living room, his people are. They're in a living room somewhere. And we have the privilege and the gladness of like tangibly experiencing that peace when we show up from those who have gathered too. The gathering of God's people is a glimpse of what the world will one day be like. God and his people together in peace and at peace forever. We get to enjoy that. It's what we need. And that's easy to forget. And it's not what the world wants us to think, which is exactly why we say it is important to gather with the church regularly. Not so we can huddle like together in here or in our groups to like hide from the world, but to, to remind one another of who overcame the world. Right? And the overcoming of the world, it begins here. And not just in this room, not just on this side of the doors, but, but inside of us where our sin and our fear and the tension that we have with Jesus over where we want to find our peace, we get to let him overcome that, not by waiting for him to like magically change something in us and not by waiting for him to change all the circumstances out there, but just like his disciples, simply by seeing Jesus. We get to behold him, risen, alive, alive, coming in peace to you and to me. We get to remember that whatever life is like outside those doors, peace wins. Being marked by Jesus doesn't mean being marked as safe, but it does mean being marked by a peace that frees us to be faithful even when the risk is high. And that starts by gathering together in that peace. Let's take a look at our next couple verses here. This is John 20. 21 through 22, Jesus said to them again, uh, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is point two, we, we get to go in peace. One of my least favorite things in the world is dropping off my kids at school after I've been a jerk. Like it is just, it is the worst feeling on the planet. There are mornings where like stuff just sets me off. I'm not a morning person as it is. Neither are some of our kids. Neither's Kelly. Uh, some of our kids are too much morning people and that's a thing too. Uh, all right. But and then trying to like get everyone out the door and on time with everything they need. It's just like a it's a it can be a recipe for me wanting to pick fights. That are stupid and not picking my battles wisely when things aren't going exactly the way that I want them to uh, at home, in the car, on the way there. And then to drop them off at school, wondering if I've just like deflated and crushed their little hearts before sending them into a sea of other people and, and days that have their own frustrations and their own worries and all of that stuff. And knowing that I won't be able to talk to them and apologize to them for like several hours, Kelly can attest like that stuff will eat me alive. The rest of the day. I hate sending my kids to school uh, with less than a, a full tank, right? Or with them at least not knowing or feeling that I am I'm for them. I hate that. My least favorite thing. Here, Jesus offers his peace to his disciples again, but this time it is not a greeting, not in a hello, as much as it is in a sending. Because that's what he says he's going to do. He's going to, God, God the Father has sent Jesus and Jesus is getting ready to leave. And so now Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples and he's not stressed. He's not overwhelmed. He did not spill his coffee. He's not worried. He is sending them out with the same peace that he showed up with. He's giving them what they need. He is for them entirely. And just to get out of the way, do not read this and then start going around breathing on people. That is not a proper application of the text, all right? Um, that's just weird, and you don't have to be weird. Uh, this is a Jesus thing that, that I can't imagine also wasn't weird in some way when the disciples were there. But it is a distinctly Jesus thing. It's not like a, hey, like, like that's an odd thing to do to a person deal. This is a, hey, this is Jesus pointing to something that is a uniquely God thing kind of a deal, We've pointed this out before. John loves to, to point back to Genesis, like the very first book of the Bible. He mirrored the beginning of his book uh, after the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's pointing right back to Genesis. That's how the book that we've been reading, that's how it began. And funny enough, like John, who was referring to Jesus as the Word of God there, He was saying that Jesus was right there at the beginning. He was creating. And so the breathing on people thing, it seems strange until we look again at Genesis and realize that this wasn't his first time doing that. Because in the beginning, God breathed. This is Genesis 2 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet, In the land and no small plain of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord hadn't caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Jesus' breath brought us to life in the first creation. And Jesus' breath brings us back to life in this new second creation. Jesus, who took on the form of man and returned to the dust of the ground, is now the one breathing new life into men and women that God formed from the dust. And this breath is not just like, like hot air. It's not some vague soul or spirit. It is, it is the Holy Spirit himself who's not just bringing us back into a new spiritual life, but who is living inside of us. And all of this points to the fact that the peace that Jesus brings, it is not meant to stand still. There's movement in our focal passage this morning. And it goes from the disciples being afraid of life outside the door to being sent into that life Outside the door. And John, by pointing back to Genesis, he's trying to tell us that that's always been the plan and the pattern of God. The world began in Genesis as formless and empty and dark, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, seas, and and oceans that to them were like the most chaotic and, and uncontrollable parts of creation. And then we hear about a place called Eden, right? So, crazy wilderness. Eden, and then in this place called Eden, God plants a garden. And in that garden, God brings two humans, Adam and Eve, not only to work and to keep the garden, but but He commissions them to subdue the earth and to fill it, to have dominion over it, seas and all, and to be fruitful and multiply, bringing order and peace and beauty uh, of this little garden to bring that to the rest of the world. And if you swap out the garden for a house, And Adam and Eve for the disciples and the untamed wilderness of the earth for a a civilized planet under the chaos of sin, life outside the doors. And you've got yourself a, a second Genesis story where the spirit that used to hover over the chaos of the waters now hovers inside the chaos that's going on in here where a little bubble of safe Christian community isn't meant to stay like it is forever, but it's meant to grow and stretch and push into every part of our city where the, the wilderness isn't as much about poison ivy, right? And weeds and lions and tigers and bears and all that stuff. Like, but it's, it's the people in your life who haven't yet been brought into the church and made alive to Jesus. Life outside the door is your wilderness. The church is our, our garden, and we've just been told to go. And thankfully, unlike the first time, when like Adam and Eve were in the driver's seat, our confidence does not come from our ability to get it right. It comes from the dominion that Jesus now has as king and from the Spirit's ability to make spiritually dead people come alive again. And so just to, to clarify the scene, so you kind of get this, like, like Jesus is sending his disciples into the place they have barricaded themselves from. So the the Genesis connections, like those are neat, but he is making those connections to help them and us change and grow and go. And so here are two ways that we get to change in this way. We get to change the way that we see ourselves. We don't get to doubt ourselves when we hear that Jesus is sending us. Jesus is not sending us into school without making sure that we know he's for us. This is what so makes his second peace be with you, so sweet. There is a peace that greets us. Like no matter what, no matter what we're bringing with us today, he greets us with that. And then there's a peace that he's sending us with no matter what we're going to encounter or how well we're going to handle it, like we are all at peace with Jesus. In other words, He's not sending us into the world once again as an opportunity for us or for you to fail just like the first time in the first garden. Instead, he is sending us in peace as an opportunity for us to experience that peace even if we do fail, even if we screw it up entirely. There is, there's an opportunity for peace that shows up in simply being faithful, right? And getting it right, like in being obedient, even when it's risky, and, and not compromising on truth, even when it's not popular, like knowing that you get to have peace with the Lord and living like in alignment with that peace, especially when you don't have it in or with the world, that is a freeing thing. It's not restrictive. It's not restrictive. It's liberating. It's giving, giving Jesus the opportunity to prove that there really is a peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make any sense. So so that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you will feel at peace, not just know that it's theologically true, but experience the peace of Jesus because you guys are on the same page. And there's also an opportunity for peace that shows up in how we respond when we are not faithful, when we just bomb. When I drop my kids off at school after being a jerk, like I, again, I hate it. I hate going into my day having already jacked it up from the very beginning, right? And then having to like wait all those hours before I get to apologize to them. It's just the worst. It is the opposite Of peace that's happening in here throughout the day. But I don't have to wait to be at peace with the Lord. And that is hard to believe. Like when I have said or done something to sin against my kids, it honestly feels not just defeating, it feels disqualifying. Like I just blew it. They are not coming back from that one. So it's hard to think that like the God who gave me those kids could be at peace with me but he is. And I can confess and I can repent right then and remind myself that he and I, we are okay. Not because of me, but because of him. Faithfulness and failure are both opportunities to experience the peace of Christ, which means we're not powerful enough to take his peace away. We can't take away the peace of Christ. You can't screw it up bad enough that Jesus revokes your access to his peace any more than you can erase the scars that are on his body. You just can't do that. And because you have his peace, you are qualified to go. And that might be hard to believe, right? But, but if you are his, then he has commissioned you and he has given you everything that you need. His peace that you can't take, right? His spirit that you can't control and his word, which cannot be broken. The church is not some frail thing. That has to hide from the world behind closed doors. Our peace is indestructible. We get to see ourselves that way because that's the way that Jesus sees us. And the second thing it changes is this. It changes the way that we see our our purpose, like the purpose of the church. Just like Adam and Eve, they were Certainly called to work and keep the garden they already had. The church the church gets to work and keep its own community healthy as well, right? Jesus wanted the disciples to make sure that their little gathering of people inside this house, they were good and they were taken care of. He greeted them with peace, right? Peace for the people who were here. But also like the garden, the church doesn't exist so it can simply stay the way it is forever, Like the garden was never supposed to remain small and the church was never supposed to stay stagnant. By the time that we get to the end of the Bible, we get a glimpse of the future. The garden has now turned into this like giant sprawling garden city where the nations come in and out of it and enjoy the peace that God provides. The church doesn't exist only for itself. It exists for those who aren't in it yet. So we cultivate or at least try like a healthy church community. And we do that for us, for the people who are already here and have already gathered. But but we also do that so that there is a healthy church community that you can invite others to enjoy as well. And, And part of what makes a church community healthy is its relationship with outsiders. How invitational is it? How hospitable are we to strangers, to people who have maybe never heard about Jesus, to people from different church backgrounds and stories? Churches should be fruitful and they should multiply, not just having, from having kids, all right? That's one strategy. We can do that. But in Jesus' kingdom, every disciple, whether you're able to have kids or not, single, married, divorced, whatever, everyone gets to make and mature and multiply disciples of Jesus. Adam and Eve, we're gonna have to venture into the wilderness to do their job, and so do we. It's just that our wilderness is like next door. Someone shouldn't have to have the supernatural ability to pass through locked doors in order to belong to the community of the saints. We get to look for ways to make our opportunities and our relationships invitational and hospitable, and we get to make sure that what we're inviting them into is good and healthy. How many people in your life have you invited into life with Jesus, into life with the church, into your group? How many people could you? Are there people you know who don't know Jesus? Do you have those kinds of people in your life? And if you do, like, what are you doing to bring them in? And Consider your relationships, your groups, your circles. Who have you invited recently? Is there evidence in your life, in your group, in the church? They're like, we are hospitable. We get to consider those things and rest in the peace of Jesus, who sends us. Lastly, we'll look at our last verse this morning, John 20, 23. Uh, One verse, it's all kinds of crazy stuff. He says this, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Third part this morning is this, that we get to give peace. Uh, So listen, I I grew up Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through high school. Uh, and confession was a regular thing uh, that we had to do. And so if you don't know what that is uh, in the Catholic church, like it's when you go into a room with a priest. Uh, at least this is what like, I did when I was a kid. You had the option of sitting behind a screen, or you could, like, you could be brave and you could like, look at him right in the face. Right? And what you would do is you would confess your sins to him. Uh, and he might ask you some questions. He would offer up some prayers to say or some things to do to, to make up for what you did wrong. Uh, and then he would absolve you of your sins. One of these guys, all right? Uh, and, and then he would forgive you on behalf of the Lord. Now, this was a stressful experience for me. Um, and this is gonna sound bad, but I, like, I, had a, I had a hard time thinking of things I did wrong. <laughs> like, I was a pretty good kid, all right? Like, I, I don't know, like I, I did plenty of things wrong, but I was a decent, I didn't have siblings, all right? And have brothers and sisters to torture, right? I feel like that's where 90% of the things that I heard confessed or people talk about, that's where it came from was siblings. Like, dude, I like your brother. I like your sister. I don't know, I was a rule follower. Uh, and so sometimes I would like just sit there in line while I was like waiting for my turn to go into confession, like trying to, to think of something that I did wrong, trying to figure out what I was gonna confess. And sometimes I'll just make up stuff. Like, I don't know, like I, I probably laughed at something that like I shouldn't have laughed at. I don't know. Like, I, don't, I, I, didn't, I couldn't think of anything. And so, like, that did not feel like a freeing experience to me. Like, that was not liberating at all when I went through that. that. That felt weird and strange and stressful. I'm sure others, maybe that was different. For me, not so much. So I read this passage, and I can't help but think, like, gosh, putting the disciples in that place of the priest, that's a lot of power like that Jesus is giving to his disciples. They get to decide like who's forgiven and who's not. And that's wild. What if people show up and they just make up sins and they can't think of anything? Like, what does that mean? But that's like, that's actually backwards from, from what is being said here. They're not the ones doing the forgiving, like on the, the back end, the, like in the grammar and in the Greek, they are recognizing who is already forgiven. There's a difference there. They're recognizing who's already forgiven by the Lord, not through a, not through a priest, not through a, a pastor, um, not, not through anyone except Jesus, who is our one and only high priest and, and recognizing also like who is not forgiven. And they have the, the duty and the privilege of reminding those people, whatever side they, they happen to fall on, like where they stand, which to be fair, like that is not a small thing. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, but the big thing is this, like what's the church called to take into the wilderness? What are the disciples supposed to tell the people that they're afraid of? They're supposed to tell them about forgiveness. Like that's how Jesus wants us to subdue the earth and, and to, to stretch the garden and build a healthy church community by sowing seeds of the gospel that illuminate where people stand with Jesus. And, and here's a way to frame it. Like, are they already at peace with them, or with Jesus, even though it's, it's hard for them to believe it? Right, okay, then, then you get to remind them of the peace that's already theirs and you get to help them live in it. All right, it is a freeing, beautiful experience to be able to, to do that. Or you get to tell them that peace is possible for them. Even if we gotta be honest and say that it is not theirs yet. But, but you get to hold out hope. Either way, Jesus has brought us peace. And now we get to be the ones who go, who go out of our door and bring Jesus' offer of peace to the world. Being marked by Jesus has gone from like being bad news for them to being good news going out into the world. And this, this should challenge us in a couple of ways. All right. First, it should challenge us to to see the world differently. Whoever and whatever lies outside that door is not something that is most to be feared. It is something more to be fought for. God didn't tell Adam and Eve to, to go burn down the stuff that wasn't already exactly how he wanted it to be, right? They were to work for its good. Even if the world doesn't like it, even if the world doesn't want it, it doesn't mean the work is easy or it's welcome, but our goal in the way that we interact with the world should never be destructive but restorative, right? It should be peace that comes from redemption, not revenge, and if you want a quick test on, on how that's going for you, like pick someone that drives you nuts, that you, just, you can't stand. They like infuriate you uh, and ask yourself what it looks like for them to be at peace with Jesus. What does that look like in your mind? How easy is that for you to picture? How vivid is your imagination when you're thinking about them getting what's coming to them compared to thinking about them rejoicing in forgiveness? Which mental picture is, is more striking to you? How much more detail exists in the way you fantasize about laying into them and pointing out every sin and flaw versus the way that you would share the gospel with them in a way that, that speaks to their heart specifically? Part of joining Jesus in any kind of like new creation work is having an imagination that can actually see and believe how awesome it might be like for the world to know the peace of Christ. That's hard, especially when it comes to people that we fear or that we are frustrated by, but it's what we get to do because we've been the recipients of God's peace ourselves. We've been those people. The second thing it challenges us on is this. It challenges us to be dissatisfied with a cheap peace. It's a quote from uh, Jeremiah 8:10 through 12. Uh, from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely, speaking to who are supposed to be God's people. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, "Peace, peace when there is no peace." Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among the fallen. Peace isn't a thing that happens when you make up things to say to a priest in a line at confession, all right? No peace was made that day or any of those days because no lack of peace was exposed that day. God hates it when his people and especially his leaders when they say that everything is fine when it's not. Peace, peace when there is no peace. No one wants to hear that things are bad and no one wants to to tell people that they're in sin. But if things are bad, then, then that's what we need to hear and say so that there can be peace. Again, peace does not come from pretending. And peace doesn't come from going around telling people only bad news either, right? God doesn't motivate us with guilt and shame and fear, but if our sin doesn't make us blush, like if we don't feel guilty or feel any kind of shame or hatred of our own sin, like if, if a lack of reconciliation with us and someone else, if that's not unsettling to us in some way, then like, then we're not just taking our sin too lightly. We are taking God's peace too lightly. If you want to know how to recognize who's already been forgiven by God and who hasn't, which is kind of what we're called to do and then offer peace accordingly, 1st You can't know that for sure, (laughs) all right? That's really important when you go into that. Second, do they confess that Jesus is Lord? They have trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life forever. Those two things, all right? But assuming those two things, here's what that looks like. Forgiven people, they forgive and they ask for forgiveness and they are glad to do both. Now every person who who's like at peace with Jesus like is on a spectrum. Here we are at different spots in how quick, uh, how self-aware we are about things, and how happy we might be about all of that stuff. Like that's okay, but the trajectory, by and large, is is upward. It gets to be upward, not because we're being better Christians right, because that's not a thing, but because we're believing that what the gospel says is actually true more and more and more as time goes on, that we have a peace with Jesus that our sin and other people's sin can't take away, and that frees us to forgive and to ask for forgiveness gladly, all right? On the flip side, if someone never asks for forgiveness, if it's always some excuse, or somebody else's fault, if they're slow to forgive or just straight up willing to cut people out, call people names, vindictive or bitter, they want like their enemies burned at the stake or whatever, like they may not know what it is to have had the Lord show up in their life unexpected with their guard up, doors locked, and have Jesus declare peace to them by his life and his death and his resurrection. Even if forgiveness is given or asked for, but it's always a pain never weighty. Like that's not a sign of somebody who's, who's seen the scars of Jesus and knows the price of peace. We should see evidence of Jesus' peace that shows up in faithfulness and in the way that we respond to failure, our own and other people's. And so here's where I want to bring us this morning. I know that that's like, John, could you like give me another verse to end on? Because that's not fun. All right, but here's what this gets to bring us this morning. Like, the, Jesus has gathered us here this morning in his peace. In a few minutes, he's going to send us out in that same peace. And before he moves out, before we move out the door, literally, like, we get to, to take this middle, like, in-between bit that we're doing right now, and we get to consider where we need his peace most in our life right now. And maybe, like, where we're most glad because of his peace, to worship him in those things. There, there'll be some questions up on the screen in just a minute to, to help you consider that stuff. But I would just encourage you this morning uh, to consider what, if anything, like stirred in you today as you were reading about this, listening to this, praying with the Lord as we were going through this. Band, you guys can come on up. Just what I want you to know. Like if, if you are in Christ this morning, you get to be reminded that you're forgiven. You are at peace with the Lord. Even though it might be hard for you to believe, you didn't earn it by coming here this morning. You don't get Jesus points by showing up. You did not earn that whatsoever. That peace greeted you as soon as you walked in the door. And it will go with you when you go out. If you're not in Christ this morning, right, then I get to tell you that that even though you're not forgiven this morning and there is no peace between you and the Lord, the only thing standing in the way of that is you. Jesus has extended the offer of peace to you. If you'll simply confess your need for it and ask for it and let yourself receive it freely. No Jesus points needed. Like it is a free gift from the Lord and you get to receive it with a gladness that will mark you as one of God's people for the rest of of your life, no matter what's on the other side of the door or what's inside of you, the peace that Jesus brings. It first moves in here, inside of you, and it moves us out the door. And if you're not sure where you are this morning with Jesus, that's okay. That's a real thing too. We would love to chat with you about that. I will be uh, back there along that wall, my wife and I. Uh, there'll be a couple people over by that red tree. We would love to pray with you. You can fill out a Connect card and say, I don't know what the heck's going on with my spiritual life. Would, would love to follow up with you this week and talk with you about that. All right, so please let us know. We would love to pray with you and love to talk with you. We also invite you to respond by celebrating communion. And so if you are in Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus sit with these questions, sit with the Lord, reflect, repent, respond, and you get to rejoice, right, in the peace that God has offered here. The, the bread that's up here represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, and, and the juice up here represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And when you get to come up, you get to declare that it is by Jesus and Jesus alone that you have peace and eternal life with God. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're not in Christ or you're not okay, this is not for you today but we are for you and Jesus is for you and we would love to chat with you. I would love to come up and take communion with you for the first time this morning, if that's you, all right? So so just wanna invite you this morning for the next couple minutes, sit, pray with the Lord, see what God's stirring up in you and respond accordingly.